When they struck at Reagan, what did Reagan do? He destroyed their oil infrastructure and he sank every boat they had in the water. He didn't have to attack downtown Tehran. And they went back in their hole. And you can now pass the Biden Army physical fitness test by doing two miles in 25 minutes with 10 push-ups. We have to have a ground-up revolution on our values so that we're not faced with young people coming of age in a country that they've been taught to despise. All right, folks, you're in the right place. This is the Sean Spicer Show. Uh, the House today began the process of impeaching the Secretary of Homeland Security. He wasn't too happy about it. He sent a seven-page letter saying, please don't do this. I'm not doing that bad of a job, but he is. We have an invasion. It's an invasion. We actually, words matter. It's got to stop calling it a crisis. It's not a crisis. It's an invasion at our southern border. Fentanyl's coming in. Terrorists are coming in. People aren't even going through checkpoints, and we're, we're, we should call it what it is. It's an invasion. But speaking of an invasion, we our outpost, Tower 22, was attacked. Three U.S. soldiers. Let me give you their names. Sergeant William Jerome, Rivers uh, 46, Specialist Kennedy Ladon Sanders 24, and Specialist Brianna Alexandria Moffat 23. All of Georgia, all reservists were killed by a Houthi attack on our outpost there. Killed, targeted, and killed. That's beyond the 160 other acts that these guys have taken against our ships and other U.S. interests. Why are we so tepid in our response? Let's get them and take them out. This is how Corinne Jean-Pierre dealt with the death of those individuals during an interview yesterday. Let me play it for you. What I will say, our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave uh, three brave, uh, three brave of uh, three folks who are, who are military folks who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration of the American people. Obviously, more so, more importantly. All right. Well, I want to bring in the former Under Secretary of Defense for Readiness and Personnel under President Trump, who also became the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Robert Wilkie, to break this all down for us. Mr. Secretary, it's good to see you. Um, you know, it's interesting. I seem to get lucky these days with the right guest at the right time. Obviously, your DOD background, your military service is is super helpful to breaking down what's happening today. But also, I want to get in a little bit to what's going on with our veterans. Let's start with what's happening, though, overseas. We now have an attack by an entity that killed three of our service members. And there seems to be some debate about what the response should be. So share with me your opinion. What, what should we be doing right now? Well, with 160 and plus attacks right. since October 7th. And I, and I would start by saying this is a total failure of deterrence. Uh, the Biden administration is not taken seriously. And this is a, the end of a chain of events that began in Afghanistan. Yes. And accelerated with the appeasement payments to the theocratic fanatics in, in Tehran. Um, this does not uh, require a typical Biden tit for tat proportionate response. Uh, this is an administration that's taken basic police procedures and tried to impose them on national security. And what do I mean by that? That means if, if they launch a drone, we're going to launch a missile. Uh, that's not how national security works. 
Um, the response at the beginning should have been devastating and overwhelming. Uh, we don't see that. I don't expect that. Um, I served in an administration where the president of the United States made a very clear warning. You were in the same administration. He told the Iranians to back off. Uh, they didn't. This was in Syria. And the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps disappeared. The same <laughs> thing happened with, happened with Putin. Putin was told once, you back your little green men away from American troops in Syria or else he didn't. And 300 Wagner mercenaries disappeared the next day. That's the only kind of response that the mullahs understand. Uh, what I expect, though, is more attacks on ammunition dumps, um, command posts. And remember, Sean, this administration told the Houthis in advance where we were coming so they could get their people out and, and not lose people. I mean, yeah. not lose their, we their warriors. Them. We warned them. Uh, this is what the Germans call cloud cuckoo land. And uh, I, I have no, no confidence that this administration will act forcefully to protect our people. If it were me, if it were Trump, if it were Ronald Reagan, the first thing that would go would be that Soviet-made Iranian spy trawler that is ghosting American vessels in the Red Sea. And then the Iranian Revolutionary Guard commands would be devastated uh, all across the Middle East. And then the message from the White House or the Pentagon would be, who's next? But don't expect that from, from Biden or Blinken or Sullivan. Hey, guys. Uh, as a former White House press secretary and a graduate of the U.S. Naval War College, I spent a lot of time thinking through contingency planning. And there's nothing better that you can do for yourself and your family and your loved ones than getting the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. When something goes wrong, a natural disaster, some other thing that attacks our power grid, you will be prepared. The Patriot Generator 2000X is the perfect thing for your house, your family. You can plug in everything, a refrigerator, so if you have medical supplies or food, you will be prepared. All of those other tablets and computers, things that are helpful for you and your family, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X takes care of it. The best part about it is it's portable. You can bring it in your house. You can take it with you on a trip, run it out of your car at a campsite. It doesn't matter. Put it literally in your house and on the counter and power the fridge. You can do it. Plus, it operates off a solar panel, which comes free with your order. You will be prepared. No running to the gas station. No worrying about anything else. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X is your hedge against the inevitable. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer to get yours now. You know, I, I appreciate your approach to that answer because number one, you mentioned Afghanistan. And I think once that happened, we lost all sorts of credibility. People around the world said, oh my gosh, if that's how you handled that. But number two is I think they have become emboldened because they think that we're not going to appropriately respond. And I, I, I was doing a radio interview this morning and somebody said, how should we, same question I asked you, how should we respond? And I said, well, we should have never been here. That's the problem. Yeah. That, that we lost credibility when we allowed this little kid to start. This is the equivalent of someone throwing rocks at the big kid. And you just ignore it, you ignore it, you ignore it. And then finally, they throw a bigger rock and they hit you in the head. Like we have allowed this behavior, 160 plus attacks on our, on our interest. And, and suddenly, and then they finally go, hey, what if we bomb their, their 
their outpost to kill their people. And we're sitting back having a debate about the appropriate responsiveness. Uh, I just think to myself, if this is how the Houthis approaches, can you imagine what China or now Putin, et cetera, are thinking? Oh, well, well, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you've hit on something that I wish we had a full debate on. And it, it was a policy change that I know was underway in the Trump administration before the election. Uh, Trump and our forces got rid of ISIS. Yeah. Uh, the reason we were in Syria and most of these outposts was because of ISIS. Uh, ISIS is almost non-existent now. And as a result of its trepidations, um, it's got the Russians, the Turks, the Syrians, the Iraqis, the everyone's trying to kill ISIS members. There's absolutely no reason for us to be there. The problem now is if you do the typical Biden withdrawal after Americans died, then it looks like the tiger has no claws. And you are absolutely right. They are taking notes in Beijing. They are taking notes in Moscow. And, um, uh, the toll is not very good. And, you know, I, I go back to my childhood at Fort Bragg when the hostages were taken. Um, I was at a JV football game sitting in the stands. I think I was 10th grade or 11th grade. And I heard a bunch of history teachers in front of me after the hostages were taken say, anybody who wants us can have us. And that stuck with me it's at a time when my father was a senior officer in the All-American Division. And that wrecked Jimmy Carter's presidency. And I think, I think this will finally put the nail in the coffin of the Biden uh, presidency uh, because America has been exposed, not just to the world, but to our own people. So I saw Senator Lindsey Graham and a couple others um, on the Republican side put out like, okay, like take out Iran, attack Tehran. And then you had several others saying, we don't need to go to war. And, and I kept thinking, I don't know that I believe that it's an either or choice. I think no. we can retaliate. Absolutely. Without, right. I mean, what, what, what's your, give me the, give me the, the take on this because there seems to be this view that if we, if we respond, which I don't know how you don't respond. Frankly, I'm, I'm a little taken back by people on our, on the right who are like, don't enter World War III. I'm like, what are you going to let three U.S. soldiers? get killed, killed. I mean, that that wasn't a, an accident or a roadside bomb or something like that. They were targeted to die. Right. We must respond. We have to. And, you know, we, we haven't even been told how many Americans have been permanently uh, disabled uh, since, since October 7th by the strikes that have occurred throughout that region against our installations. And you don't have to look at this as World War, World War III. Look at the history of the mullahs. Uh, when they struck at Reagan, what did Reagan do? He destroyed their oil infrastructure and he sank every boat they had in the water. He didn't have to attack downtown Tehran. And they went back in their hole. Uh, when they got too close to our troops and Soleimani disappeared, they went back in their hole for fear that Trump would do something even more drastic, in, at least in their eyes. So, you know, the message needs to be sent. I, you know, I, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago, actually a few days ago, that's in production somewhere, where I argued that a devastating blow on the Houthis uh, was long overdue. Because, as you know, as a sailor, uh, the Iranians have 
don't have an, a generic expeditionary capability. They use Houthis, they use Hamas, they use Hezbollah, and various uh, various terrorist, terrorist groups in the region. Uh, I think a devastating blow against the Houthis early on would have sent the message that you're next. And uh, we don't have people in this administration capable of saying uh, who's next. Um, you know, Sullivan gave us the, the Russian dossier. Um, Blinken was labeled a threat to national security by John McCain. And if anybody wants to go on YouTube and watch that, I think it's instructive. John McCain never opposed a president's uh, appointee because he felt that if the man uh, won the election, he was entitled to have people he wanted next to him. But he made the exception for the current secretary of state. Uh, <laughs> and in an hour long speech on the Senate floor, he said he was a threat to national security. You know, uh, I it, think it, we're seeing that play out now. It reminds me, and I read it again yesterday, I think it was Secretary Gates. And I know different people have said versions of this, but Secretary Gates, you know, making it clear that there hasn't been a foreign policy decision that Biden hasn't been on the wrong side of in four decades. And I think that continues. I don't know. And by the way, you speak of Gates, I mean, Blinken and, and Sullivan. I think back to that first week of October when Jake Sullivan's out there saying, you know, the, the Middle East has never been more safe and sound uh, since, you know, the, the 1970s. And I'm thinking to myself, these morons don't even, I, it's like, this just shows you, I, I, you wonder why we have the policies we do. I think part of it is that the people advising them are, are horrible at what they do. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you look at this administration, Sean, and, and you wear the uniform. The notion that the Secretary of Defense could disappear for 10 days and nobody know it, uh, I think that says a great deal about the amateur hour that is this White House national security team. And it's interesting because the arguments were always that the professionals are in charge. Well, they're professionals, if you like, Ivy League lunacy. Um, but th this group has given us not only uh, war in, in Ukraine, war in the Middle East, uh, more Chinese aggression in the Taiwan Straits, but we're now looking at a war in South America that would involve Brazil and Venezuela, a Venezuelan government that this administration kowtowed to because at the same time it was cutting off American domestic energy production. It was begging the communist dictator of Venezuela, Maduro, to produce more oil that we could buy rather than produce it in our own country. And, and then uh, eliminated a lot of the sanctions on on, on Caracas that Trump had put on. I mean, this, this, is, this is lunacy and an amateur hour, the likes of which we've never seen, even in the Carter administration, because <laughs> at least Jimmy Carter, at the end, that last year or so, he went to the American people and said, I was wrong. I was wrong about the Soviet Union. I was wrong about America's position in the world. And on my way, to this next election in 1980, I'm going to give you the Abrams tank, the B-1 bomber, and the Minuteman II missile. It didn't save his presidency, but it created the foundation for Ronald Reagan's military buildup, much to Mr. Carter's credit. All right, folks, if you've been watching the show for a while, you've heard me talk about my friend, Leo Grillo. He rescued a Doberman years ago, and he named the dog Delta. Delta stands for Dedication and Everlasting Love to Animals. He took it a step further. He founded Delta Rescue, and if you go to deltarescue.org, you can see some of the amazing work that they do. Just check out those videos, look at some of the things that they do and the research, it's amazing. It's a no-kill 
sanctuary. You notice I didn't say shelter. It's a sanctuary. Dogs, cats, horses, they all roam free. They get the nutrition and the care they need for life. That has been Leo's mission, but it doesn't stop there. Leo wants to make this an enduring mission. All of Delta Rescue runs on our contributions, five, 10, 100, $1,000, whatever you can do. But Leo really wants to make sure that this outlasts even him. So if you go to deltarescue.org, you can check out not just the videos, but go to the estate planning kit and think about whether or not helping animals and ensuring that Delta Rescue lives on is part of your mission as well. Go to deltarescue.org, make a contribution, but then download that estate planning kit deltarescue.org. Check it out now. You know, I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but you brought it up and I obviously you've been at the highest levels of, of government, both in the Pentagon and, and in the cabinet. You, you brought up Secretary Austin not informing the White House that he was going to be off the grid for the surgery or for this hospitalization. Yeah. What is it? I, somebody that I talked to in the last 24 hours that has a very close source to Secretary Austin said something really interesting to me. He said that they, he had talked to these folks and he said, you know, they're not dummies. They, but they didn't, they, it's not that they didn't tell the White House. Of course, he said that that's how frosty the relationship is. That they, they their view was, you think the White House cared? Do you think we, I mean, like it, they, they're not dumb, right? I mean, Secretary Austin's a smart guy. He's a four-star. He understands chain of command. He's, and, and so this sort this guy was telling me, he said, of course, they just, they know that the Biden administration, that the White House didn't, doesn't really have a great relationship. They didn't care. Um, what did it say to you, though, that the Secretary of Defense doesn't inform the White House proper, i.e., the Chief of Staff of the President of the United States, saying, I'm going to be off the grid for you know, 24, 48 hours? Right. Well, let me give you my experience. As a member of the cabinet, I had emergency surgery at Walter Reed when my Achilles began to snap. The first thing I did was tell the cabinet secretary, and as you know, uh, she is responsible for making sure that we know where every member of the cabinet is at any time of the day. And the second thing I did was inform the chief of staff and tell him what procedures were in place in the event that I had to be out for a protracted amount of time. But think about the history of this administration. We had a secretary of, the tr of transportation in the middle of a transportation and logistics crisis, disappear for two months, didn't even delegate authority. We have a Secretary of Defense who disappears for a while. But that also tells you about how this, the Democrats govern. In the Democrat governance, the Secretary, Cabinet Secretaries are, are really functionaries. Everything flows out of the White House. The White House staff expands exponentially. Give you an example. At VA, I had one White House employee. His job was to keep up with you and what you were saying and what the Domestic Policy Council was saying and look at resumes. I think VA now has 35 White House employees. They don't even do a buck letter. And for those of you who don't know what a buck letter is, that's a letter that comes to a department that really should be at another department. They don't even do a buck letter without getting a political sanity check. Everything's about revolution, the revolutionary small r. And and I, I have no reason to doubt that Austin's absence was just a continuum of the way that these people operate. And when I when I say Ivy League uh, faculty lunacy, I really mean that because if you look at the backgrounds of these people, most of them, with the exception of Blinken, are thirty-something college campus radicals who have no experience in the real world other than you know terrorizing the halls of dear old Princeton. 
You know, I, I want to get back to Iran if we can. Um, I was listening to Senator Dan Sullivan, who has served as well um, of Alaska, and he said at the end of the Trump administration, Iran had about four million, four billion dollars in foreign reserves. That's not a lot. Biden comes in, lifts the sanctions, and their foreign reserves right now are north of seventy billion dollars. That's what they are funding these terrorist proxies with. Is that? I mean, so this really does come down to the fact that, like, it's not just that the Houthis are being provocative. We've actually emboldened them through our actions and, and funding mechanisms. Absolutely. Um, Trump put the clamps on Iranian oil exports. Their annual oil exports, as you mentioned, were down below $4 billion. As of December, they were $55 billion just from last year. Um, he began to transfer money to the Ayatollahs. Um, they believe that they could achieve a detente with a nation that has been committed to killing Americans since 1979. Um, this, this is another example of just the, the, the fantasy uh, world that the Biden people live in. And I want to say one other thing. I, I cut my teeth, as you know, working in the Senate for Senator Helms and then Senator Lott when he was the majority and I had a close-up look at Senator Biden, and what you mentioned earlier about Secretary Gates is absolutely right. Um, but it's a very different thing, to, and I respect the Senate. Um, that's why, as I said, I cut my teeth there. But it's a very different thing, in most cases, to give speeches that somebody else wrote. And you have an all. And, and in Biden's case, in a small state, you you manage an office of ten people to transfer that to the White House. Um, that's why governors tend to get elected more frequently recently than senators, because they've actually had executive responsibility. Right. And uh, when you put Biden's uh, background to the test, uh, he lived down to every low expectation that we expected of. So if you go back to what you said earlier with all this being predicated on the withdrawal, the failed withdrawal from Afghanistan to where we are now. I got to, I got to kind of get concerned about, you hear about China wanting to, I mean, making it very clear that they're going to take back Taiwan. Right. Russia, obviously still engaged in Ukraine. Um, North Korea, obviously always something we got to keep an eye on. If I'm an adversary around the world right now, and I'm looking at what the Houthis are doing to us and frankly, getting away with it, what does that portend for, say, the next 12, 18 months? Well, that, that's um, the great threat that we, we live under. Um, the only thing that's saving us right now is that China's economy is beginning uh, to enter a free fall. And uh, the Chinese traditionally are risk averse. And because of their domestic problems, uh, I believe they've held off from the Taiwan matter. And it's still an incredibly difficult military feat to come across 120 miles of the Taiwan Strait in an amphibious assault on a fortified island. Um, but in the meantime, they're fomenting problems through their friends in North Korea. They're continuing to supply Russia. And um, you also see their dalliance with the Iranians. Um, people forget that now Pakistan has entered the periphery of this. Um, I, I often think that the Iranians and the Chinese are doing this uh, on so many different levels to just simply exhaust uh, 
uh, the leadership at the White House. Uh, they don't know where to turn. Uh, even though you and I would tell you there's only one fulcrum here, the fulcrum is, is centered in Tehran in terms of the immediate problems for the United States. Um, but there, the other thing I will say the, that the Chinese are looking at is the continued decline of our naval power. Uh, our Navy has been the shield of the Republic since Thomas Jefferson's time. Um, even, even though I serve in the Air Force now, um, for the next part of this century, nothing is more important than the United States Navy. Well, you started in the Navy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. did. And it was the one big mistake that you made. I, That's I, the one, one, and I sure did. Well, you know, I, I, I'm the heretic in my family. I'm the first Wilkie since the war with Mexico is not an artillery officer. So All right. um, I get it from that mafia too. But think about it. They have 110 shipyards. We have right now 10 that are building naval vessels and just the maintenance on our nuclear submarine fleet alone would take the entire capacity of our shipyards for the next 30 years. Um, this administration continues to retire ships and it's now degraded the quality of sailors by saying, yeah, come on in. Uh, even if you have no high school education, if you have troubles, well, I want with to get the to law, that. if you have troubles with the law, um, and, um, and that is a very, very serious problem. Hey folks, are you looking to secure your financial future? I know during the Biden economy, that's something that all of us are trying to do more. I've added precious metals to my investment strategy. And the people that I trust to do that are the folks at Bishop Gold Group. Now, if you go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, you can begin your journey as well with a special promotion. Or you can give them a call at 844-984-1616. These are the people that I picked up the phone. I called them. I walked through my particular situation. And we came up with a strategy. Now, maybe you have an IRA that you want to roll over. Maybe you just want to diversify your investments. But people at Bishop Gold Group are the people that I trust. Give them a call or go to the site, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. You get on the phone, you talk about your particular situation, and they'll help you come up with a strategy. Maybe you keep some of the gold with you, maybe they do it for you, but you can work with them one-on-one -on -one to come up with a strategy that's good for you. So go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to begin your journey to financial freedom through precious metals. You, you mentioned China's economic woes, and I think you're right that that's what's the, the one thing that's going in our favor right now. But as we've turned to the Middle East, we've steamed a bunch of ships in that direction. Do we have the capacity, the ammunition, and the personnel to fight on multiple fronts? Or are we right now just hoping that nothing else flares up? Right now we're hoping. Um, and if we, if we look at the expenditure of, land-based munitions in the, on the Ukrainian front, um, we see how rapidly our stocks and the stocks of our NATO allies have diminished. Um, I, I've argued that for the next administration, the Secretary of Defense is going to have to concentrate on what I call the mundane things. That's uh, reinvigorating the Reagan, Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman Defense Production Board, so that industry is in line with replenishing everything from artillery shells to missiles. Um, we need to expand our ship shipbuilding capability. Right now in the, the Red Sea, we, we have a preponderance of power. I mean, the Iranian Navy is, is centered on 
those old kid class destroyers that they that they got in 1978 uh, and some some bad Russian built vessels. Uh, and that's why I said at the beginning, you want to send them a message, just put their ships as but Reagan why, and that's, but can I, this, I don't understand. That's that's I mean, we started before they escalated and killed three of our soldiers. They were they were attacking our ships. Why? Why? I, and I get we've had some drone takedowns. Yeah. But why is this been I, to your point? I don't get it. That to me would be easy peasy, man. Take out Absolutely. all their you know, like that was. And, and that's doesn't necessarily seem escalatory. I just, I, John Kirby keeps talking. Where's the quote? I want to pull this out. He said, Monday's press briefing, national security spokesman and White House babysit, press secretary babysitter, John Kirby, that was my ad, said that the U.S. does not seek war with Iran, but will absolutely do what's required to protect ourselves to continue that mission and to respond appropriately to attack. We are not looking for a war with Iran. We are not seeking a conflict with the regime uh, in a military way. Um, and as I said in the, in the opening, we're not well, we're not looking to escalate here. This attack over the weekend was escalatory. Make no mistake about it. And it requires a response. Make no mistake about that. I will not get ahead of the president's decision. Why does everything have to go from zero to war? Because right. I, I, to your point, why aren't we just taking out their ships and being like, boom, 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 boom? That's right. Well, you've, you actually hit it, Sean, earlier. Um, I mean, we have a White House, because this, this is your area. They start off with a negative. We don't want to escalate. This no is one, not yeah, about escalation. That's like, that's like and, having a fight with your war, like having a discussion with your wife and be like, I don't want to get divorced. It's like, whoa, whoa, slow that's your role. That's exactly right. And and you know from your service that a tit-for-tat response means that the bad guys control the tempo, tempo right. of the operation. Um, there's no reason, given the assets that we have, that every Iranian ship shouldn't be at the bottom of the Red Sea or the Persian Gulf. Boom. Gun. Go bye-bye. And, and that and that is a very simple calculation. And what we saw in Jordan is that yes, um, our technology is second only to the Israelis when it comes to taking down drones. But there's going to be a time when it gets through, and God help us if that gets through on a naval vessel or on a much larger installation than the one that uh, was attacked uh, a few days ago. Um, the response, uh, as I said, we sink the Iranian ships and we just devastate the Houthis. We also take out the Iranian Revolutionary Guard commands and people spread throughout the Middle East. Um, the Israelis have been doing that in Lebanon and in Syria. Uh, there's no reason why we can't do it until, and again, the, you know, the, the press will go crazy. The academics will go crazy, but I can see the Trumpian response after a massive attack. Who's next? And uh, that would um, that would awake some of the folks uh, in Tehran to a new reality. I, but the thing that's amazing to me is that the opposite is true right now. By not attacking them, by not responding, that it's not just the Houthis in Iran, but I think everyone else goes, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I could hit you guys. Right. without any consequences. And we're sending right. a message to everyone else. I just, I, we, we, the two seals that we lost last week um, were, were consequential, but they were on a mission. This to me, in a direct attack on, our, on, on an outpost, that drone wasn't going there for surveillance. It was going there to kill, to right. kill US personnel. That was it. That was the only goal. And if we don't respond forcefully, that sends a message. And this idea that Kirby and everyone else is like, oh my God, it's going to go to war. And that, that includes our side too. Like all these people on the right 
who don't understand that once one of our guys gets attacked and, or women, or one of our soldiers, one of our shipmates gets attacked, you fight back Absolutely. and you make it clear. But this, and I'm actually embarrassed that our side, so many people on the Republican side are trying to call everyone warmongers. I don't want to go to war. No. And I think half of these guys who's never worn the uniform don't know what it's like. I mean, we're not calling. No one wants to go to war, but we don't want people to get away with killing our people. That's right. And uh, and this is an ancient American principle. I'm not going to get into a long history lesson, but this very situation in the same part of the world confronted Thomas Jefferson. He told the Barbary pirates, we're not paying you ransom. They said, well, we're going to take your sailors and put them into slavery and sink your ships. He dispatched the entire United States Navy. The Marine Corps burst onto the world stage for the first time. He burned towns in present-day Algeria, Libya, and Tunisia. Uh, guess what? They came to the table and said, we quit. We surrender. Um, and he also established a principle that this administration seems to ignore, that it is a vital interest of the United States for our commerce to maintain the right of innocent passage and the right of innocent passage on the sea lanes, what Jefferson called the global commons. I don't expect a Jeffersonian epiphany from uh, Scranton Joe. You know, uh, a few minutes ago, you brought up, uh, red I mean, this was, by the way, when you were undersecretary of personnel and readiness, this is totally in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, but then you, you mentioned the Navy standards. Let me just read this um, for the folks. About 80% of Americans prime recruiting age are ineligible for military service due to obesity, criminal records, and other obstacles. And the remainder have many non-military options to choose from in a robust job market. This is from uh, this story here. This year, the Navy needs to convince about 38,000 eligible Americans to enlist, and it's making some headline-grabbing changes in order to do it. In November, the service raised the maximum enlistment age from 39 to 41 because they want you to be able to get a full 20 in. That's uh, effective Monday. It also told recruiters that will accept candidates who score well below the average on the Armed Forces Qualification Test, the AFQT, the standard test. For now, candidates with a high school diploma, the Navy's minimal allowable performance of the AFQT is now set in the 10th percentile, lower than 90% of all test results. I mean, does that mean that you actually have to be able to speak? Right. Uh, and particularly in a technical service like the Navy, but it gets worse. Sean, you can now pass the Biden Army physical fitness test by doing two miles in 25 minutes with 10 push-ups. Um, they've destroyed physical fitness standards. The Secretary of the Army says that tough standards are at war against subgroups in this country. Uh, she also says she doesn't want second and third generation recruits because that's at war with diversity. Um, but there's a there's a bigger problem. And I actually took up for Generation Z because the, I was the British television asked me why recruiting is so bad. And I said, and they they premised it on Generation Z not caring. I said, well, if you're Generation Z and you've been in schools outside the Deep South and the Midwest. And all you've heard is that you live in an irredeemably racist nation that has a repugnant global legacy. Why would you join up and fight for that? And, and the notion that they're now saying that uh, the 79, I'll use the army figures, 79% of every soldier in the army is a second or third generation soldier. Now they're saying they don't want them because that's at war with some mythical diversity model that they've uh, 
they've carved up, plus the fact that they're they're separating soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, based on sexual preference, based on ethnic background, based on race. Um, they're telling soldiers to, if you hear any extreme thoughts, tell us, I mean, extremists from other soldiers tell us. And by the way, they went, they, they released their extremism report on Christmas Eve because you know what it said? That in all the courts martial since 2012, there was one case prosecuted for political extremism. One. The other 19 cases prosecuted in the military system for extremism were gang related. They said they found less than 100 extremists out of 2.1 million. I can tell you that from my childhood in Vietnam, my father had to arm himself to go in the barracks at Fort Bragg. There were more than 100 extremists in those barracks after Vietnam. There were biker gangs, drug gangs, uh, black Muslims, black Panthers. I mean, the army had reached its nadir. And yet this administration tried to destroy that military ethic play to the very extremes of the American polity by saying that the military is overrun with extremists. Um, again, they are doing more damage than any foreign foe would ever do to us. So we, we've prided ourselves since Vietnam on the all-volunteer force. I mean, this is how it works. We've given incentives and bonuses and fancy slogans and marketing campaigns. But at some point, does the current environment mean that, I mean, like, I, I just, I, I do wonder about what this looks like in 10 years. Yeah. Well, we faced that after Vietnam and Ronald Reagan came and recruitment soared, even though we were experiencing at that time, the greatest economic boom after 1982, uh, since the great depression. So young people signed up at a time when jobs were plenty, low unemployment was low. And there was a great fervor in the country that America was back. It's going to take a rejuvenation like that. Uh, and it's not just in the United States. Um, everything I've said is, happens in spades, say, in the United Kingdom. And by the way, if the United Kingdom's army, which is now the smallest it has been since the 1600, was ever called to duty, if they had a Ukrainian-type scenario that they had to support, they have enough ammunition artillery shells, machine gun ammunition, uh, missiles for two days. Um, so this is something that um, uh, the next president, and I think it'll be President Trump, will have to um, concentrate on and rally, uh, rally the West because the threats that we face, the three-headed monster out there, I think, is, is, is more threatening than the sclerotic Soviet Union ever was. Do you ever think that we're going to need the draft again, um, or, or, or is the all-volunteer force going to be able to be maintained? Well, we'll have to see. Um, but isn't that worrisome to you when you say, well, oh, very. we'll have to see? Yeah. I, I well, just yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I, I agree. And, and I don't know, given the tenor in this country um, and what has happened to the American psyche in the last 15, 20 years, um, whether you could, you, could, you could even get a draft through the Congress. Because I could see those elements that you talked about on the Republican side joining with, and yep. I say the left of the Democratic Party, well, other than Joe Manchin, they're all to the left. Um, I, I, don't see, I don't see that happening for the foreseeable future. Um, but 
this is a process that's got to start in the schools. We have to have a ground up revolution on our values so that we're not faced with young people coming of age in a country that they've been taught to despise. Um, one other story. Um, if you go to Harvard's chapel, and Harvard does have a chapel, I don't know what it's used for. <laughs> but if you look, you look at the list of those who died on America's battlefields, the Harvard and all Harvard men, uh, all the way through Korea, you see just dozens and dozens of Harvard students who died in defense of their country. After Korea, you don't see anything. Um, we have entire swaths of our intelligentsia that have just uh, turned its back on military service. This is no longer the the, the culture of Theodore Roosevelt uh, or the lodges of people like that who spent their life in service to the nation. Yeah. Um, and that's a very scary thing when the so-called best and brightest say this is a job for you know people who are on farms in South Carolina or, or North Carolina. Yeah. And that's frankly, what's interesting about what you mentioned on the second generation. I mean, the largest, one of the largest recruiting bases is kids whose parents or grandparents have served, family have served. And so yeah. the idea that they're turning their backs on, I, I want to, in the, in the final minutes that we have, turn to the job that you had on the way out of the Trump administration as yes. Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Um, you guys were very innovative, trying to make sure that veterans got care uh, through private sector initiatives and choice, et cetera. How, has, how have things shifted since you left through this administration? Well, you can tell by the coverage in the Washington Post. Um, I think we had, a, we had a nasty article every week, sometimes two, and now they don't even know that Veterans Affairs exists. Um, what we did was uh, give veterans choice. The other thing that we did is we restored morale. And it's hard for people to understand. Uh, I dismissed over 8,000 people who weren't performing. Um, what that did was make morale soar because people were no longer carrying the load for those who didn't. Right. They were rewarded for their hard work. Our, our veterans' preference went from 37% approval, according to CNN, under Obama-Biden to 91%. Um, and we gave veter we put veterans at the center of their health care, as opposed to the VA as a bureaucracy being at the center of their health care. This administration has destroyed choice. They rehired all the people that we fired, including oh. including the two thousand who were dismissed for grievous misconduct with back pay. The unions are back. Give you a real quick anecdote. The head of the union a government union in Salem, Virginia. I took away all the union's free space. Good. The head of the union in, in Salem, Virginia's office was 7,500 square feet. Uh, that was happening all across the country. They were allowed to politic and campaign in VA, in government facilities. Uh, we got rid of them. They're back and veterans are suffering. Um, choice is gone. The unions are back, Ugh. and the Washington Post is is quiet. In fact, they even had a deputy, he's no longer there, who came to – deputy secretary, number two, lived in Denver, came to Washington one day a week. One day a week. Um, Unreal. And, and um, the, the last thing, Sean, and I think it's the most important, uh, 
and it's the most telling. The Democrats, uh, the Biden administration, their VA treats veterans as victims. And I think that has a an effect on the general population right. because they view all of us who've served uh, as broken um, people who are ready to go on the rampage. Um, and, and that is something that has never happened in, in American society before. Unbelievable. Secretary Robert Wilkie, uh, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the insight on all of these fronts. That's why you are the perfect guest for today. Thank you all for tuning in. Please make sure that you hit that subscribe button, uh, notification button on YouTube and Rumble. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. Make sure you're signing up there. Even if you don't listen to the audio version or you're watching on the first, Channel 347 on DirecTV, that's great. But please always help the show by subscribing. Well, we'll see you back here tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show. Well, if you enjoyed this content, make sure to like this video, subscribe, and click the notification bell to get more.